Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Sports Time Machine here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. I'm Anna Kagarakis, and each week we head down memory lane, and I take you back in time as we remember some of the greatest moments in sports history. So leave your flux capacitor at home. All you need to do is subscribe to the show on iTunes or any other of your favorite directories like Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Now that song has to be one of the most recognizable intros in the world. The Olympic Games, the ultimate success for many athletes. To stand on the podium, showing your country's flag with pride, while millions around the world witness your greatest athletic achievement. It's a dream that many strive for at a young age. It takes dedication, determination, and heart. Unfortunately, we were supposed to be enjoying the Olympic Games in Tokyo this year, but because of the pandemic, they've been postponed until 2021. For now, we wait to see which names will be the next to go down in history in some of the most dramatic and memorable moments in sports. Who's the first name that comes to your mind when you think of the greatest Olympians? When you think of dominant athletes, do you think of Usain Bolt? Or maybe Kerry Walsh and Misty May in beach volleyball. Or maybe Nadia Comaneci. The list goes on. But there's one name that seems to be on top on just about everyone's list. Michael Phelps. In just a bit, NBC Sports host and Olympic play-by-play announcer Jim Cozumore will join me to discuss Phelps' legacy, his personal battles, what it was like for him walking around the Olympic Village, but also the moment... Michael Phelps became the greatest medal winner in Olympic history. The Flying Fish, Superman, the Baltimore Bullet, and the Goat. Call them what you want, but the last one really seems to fit. Michael Fred Phelps holds the record for most Olympic medals at 28 and the most gold medals at 23. He also has the most individual medals at 16 and most individual gold medals at 13. Now, Phelps started his Olympic career at just 15 years of age at the 2000 Summer Olympics in Sydney, becoming the youngest male to make an Olympic swim team since Ralph Flanagan 68 years prior in 1932. He did not medal that year, but he did make the finals and finish fifth in the 200-meter butterfly. Again, that's 15 years old. You you can't even drive. You don't have a license then. You just have a permit. Now, in 2004 in Athens, Phelps won his first Olympic gold medal in his first event, the 400-meter individual medley, and in the process, broke the world record time. He took home six medals that year, six golds, and two bronze, while still just a teenager. Phelps had the second-best performance ever at a single Olympics, behind Mark Spitz's seven-gold medal performance in 1972. Then came his epic performance in 2008 in Beijing. It was perfection for Phelps. The Baltimore Bullet won a record eight gold medals, surpassing Spitz's record, and also became the first swimmer to successfully defend an Olympic butterfly title. His perfect journey turned him into a living legend. 
but he wasn't done yet. We move forward to 2012 and jump across the pond in London. This week in sports history, Michael Phelps once again made history. But it wasn't the perfect outcome like in Beijing. This journey had twists and turns, and he faced an adversity that may have impacted him forever. So let's look back to the Olympics in July of 2012. Here's sound from the past. Well, he's certainly not where he was at four years ago. This is a very different feeling for Michael Phelps. Everybody knows now that he is beatable. So in the list of Olympians, great Olympians, he's got 14 gold medals. Carlos Pavo Nurmi and Larissa Lefanina have got nine. He's five in front of the whole world in terms of all sports at the Olympics. Could this be a 15th Olympic gold medal and an 18th in total, which would equal the record of all time? So Final of the men's 200 butterfly, defending champion Michael Phelps in lane six. Can he do it? Can he become the first male to win the same event at the Olympics on three occasions? Both Leclerc and Matsuda are coming at him. Can Phelps hang on and get a 15th gold medal? Will he be the first male ever to win the same event at the Olympics on three occasions? Leclerc and Matsuda are closing. It's going to be close. Phelps is hanging on. He's a winner. Does he touch? He doesn't. Leclerc touch because Phelps got it wrong on the line. It's unbelievable. Matsuda's third. It's a shocking upset. He had it won everywhere. He didn't get the stroke. He missed the touch. The man that would never make a mistake has made a mistake. Five one hundredths of a second. He loses the 200 butterfly and this man wins. Chad Leclerc. Now here come the Americans now. So they go Lochte to Dwyer, who was the anchor this morning to Behrens into Phelps. And for Michael Phelps, a chance to get to a 19th Olympic medal, which nobody has ever achieved in any sport in the more than 100 years that the modern games have been going since 1896. The great one in the water, chasing the all-time Olympic record of 19 medals and a 15th gold. What a lead he's got. It's the USA with Phelps in the water. So Michael Phelps here with Yannick Arniel chasing him home. It's history of the best kind. So in over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. He makes it 19 tonight and a 15th gold. It's a place that nobody's been to before and maybe we'll never get to again. It's the USA, France and China. What a moment. Not just for swimming, not just for Phelps, but for the Olympics in total. Sound courtesy of NBC. July 31st, 2012, Michael Phelps became the greatest medal winner in Olympic history. And that last medal was part of a winning American team in the 4 by 200 meter freestyle relay. At that point, Phelps tallied 19 career Olympic medals, 15 of which were gold. After London, Phelps surprised the globe by announcing his retirement. Luckily, it was only temporary. In 2013, he gave an indication of a possible return and didn't rule out Rio 2016. In 2014, he put the retirement rumors to rest and announced his plans to compete. He joined Team USA in Rio de Janeiro and continued to make history. He came home with five gold medals and one silver. Not quite perfect, but pretty dang close. 
He was the most successful athlete of the game for the fourth time in a row and became the first American male swimmer to earn a spot on five Olympic teams. Now, Phelps says that he's enjoying his life post-retirement, but could we see him back in the pool? Well, I'll ask my next guest, Jim Cozumore. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. All right, now we head back in time with Jim Cozumore, host for NBC Sports, Bay Area and California. You can also see him doing pre and post for the Sacramento Kings and, of course, an Olympic play-by-play announcer for NBC as well. Coz, how you doing? Anna, it's always great talking to you. I'm feeling good, as good as you can do during these times, but I'm happy to talk to you and uh, sports any day of the week. I'm so excited about it, and I love working with you. For people who don't know, I've worked with you many times over at 95.7 The Game. You could also hear Coe's filling in there as well in San Francisco. Worked with you here and there also at NBC Sports as well. But let's talk about your background with the Olympics. How long have you been covering and calling the Olympics? So for me, it started in 2008 when I got the call from NBC to um, to begin my my Olympic excursion, and it was a great honor because I think you know many of us who get into this business, Anna, we either played sports at some level or we were big sports fans, and there are certain things that are big benchmarks. And working in Olympics, I used to watch them so much as a child, and then to think that you could be an announcer for one uh, was so exciting. But for me, it started in 2008, the Beijing Games when they asked me to do badminton, and many people would say, oh, big deal, you did badminton. Well, in Beijing or in China, the audience watching badminton is larger than the audience watching swimming. Really? So it's a pretty big deal to do, yeah, to do uh, badminton when the games are in Beijing. And so it was an honor to be called to do that, and that was the first of four different Olympic games that I've done since then. What's been your favorite to call? That's a good one. Um, you're always in love with your first, right? So I do love badminton, and it's not the backyard game that you would play with a birdie and a couple of uh, you know weak rackets. Uh, badminton is the fastest sport on the planet. The the the, the shuttlecock comes off the, the racket at over 200 miles per hour, and people don't realize how fast it's going. It's just that the the, the shuttle also decelerates from the moment it comes off the the racket. So it's a fun sport. Doubles badminton is incredibly fun. Uh, this last Winter Olympics, I had an opportunity to do curling. And if you remember the run the U.S. men's team yep. made to win Olympic gold, uh, that makes it thrilling as well when you're following a team that's doing well, when America is following that team. So it's hard to say, but I would say Summer Olympics, my favorite. Of the sports I've done is badminton, and the Winter Olympics, I've only had the chance to do curling. But uh, I certainly love calling. Whatever they give you, it's, it's, a, it's a joy to do anything they ask you to do. I can imagine. I've grown up loving the Olympics ever since I was a little kid. Never missed one. I mean, I was one of those kids that whenever the gymnasts were on, I would run down the hallway and pretend to be doing flips throughout my kitchen and pretending I was in the Olympics getting my own gold medal, but didn't quite work out that way for me. Uh, and badminton, yes, fantastic sport. Also, kind of an underrated fun sport to watch. Speed walking, by the way. If you haven't watched it, you haven't truly lived. Oh, really? <laughs> I love it. It's fun. I love it. That's a good, there you go. I like that tip. But you're right. A lot of people did what you did. Mm-hmm. Like when I was a kid, I would compete in something. Even if I was going on a run, in my head, I'm announcing a race that's in the Olympics. And, and I would be the, I'm Polish by, you know, my, my heritage is Polish. So I would announce myself in my head as I'm running as the Polish kid who's, you know, beat the odds and now here he is in the Olympics. And so we all have those dreams and that's what makes the Olympics 
such a magical time. Every year I don my red, white, and blue, but also have a little bit of blue and white for Team Greece. So I know exactly you what go. you mean there. Now, looking yep. back, though, at Olympic yep. history, we're going to talk about Michael Phelps a little more. But before we get into Phelps, other than Phelps, which other Olympians come to mind when you think of dominating their sport? You know, it's interesting. And because, you know, I've been, I've been listening or watching the Olympics for so many years, you can go back for individual times when they were dominant performances. Um, Vasily Alexiev, the great super heavyweight weightlifter. I, I was, I'm a little diminutive. I, I call myself fun size. I'm, I'm a, I'm a regular sized human. He was a superhuman being with superhuman strength. And I was always so amazed that he could lift such heavy weights. And, and I think anyone was marveling at, at Nadia Komenich when she was with Romania winning gold and, and, and getting a, a 10 score. You were talking about gymnastics. You can get a 10. Imagine to, to be able to do that at that time, which was such a special number to try and achieve and hit. Um, so those are some of the early ones. But Carl Lewis in track and field is someone who I thought was a dominant performer in, in four different uh areas of track and field, whether it was the long jump, whether it was individual sprints or team sprints, um, I, I found him to be absolutely wonderful to watch and a, and a real, a really great dominant performer in his particular sport. Yeah, there's so many great names that you could just list off many and all these great memories come to mind thinking of all these athletes. But let's talk about Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps is the most decorated Olympian in history. 28 medals, 23 of those are gold. But when you think of Phelps, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Um, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't want it to be recency bias because I know a lot of times this happens for athletes that they, um, they have a great career. And then after the career, they have a hard time, you know, determining what their life's meaning is. So my first thought, I don't want it to be that. My, my first thought is of that word you used earlier, which is dominance. When he came to the pool, I remember watching in 08, the Beijing games. And, and for people who don't know this, the time difference is exactly 12 hours from New York City to Beijing. So the negotiators at NBC wanted Phelps to be swimming at 8 p.m., right? That means 8 a.m. is when they were going to have all these finals in Beijing. And the negotiation process was a, a tedious one that, you know, it's not exactly the greatest time to swim, but it's the greatest time for television to start to see when the swimming happens. And so um, I, what, what I remember is the dominance and how you woke up ready to see what he was going to do next, how great he was going to be, or if he was going to be able to continue his dominance. It seemed to be every, you knew when Michael Phelps was swimming and you had this anticipatory feeling internally and communally because for all of us working the Olympic Games, we have our own particular sport, but we're watching the bigger, the, you know, like the bigger story of the day. And that's, that's really the memory I have. It's the dominance and the anticipation you had starting in 08. Whenever he was walking to the pool, it seemed like there was a camera following him every way. And it was just an, an, an awesome thing to watch. Yeah, it was must-watch TV every time. I could just imagine him walking around the Olympic Village because, you know, when you're walking around there, you have many Olympians who – are just athletes, sure, they're the best in their sport around the world, but is there maybe a different celebrity status for someone like Phelps? Oh, no question. There, there are. You're right. Everyone who's there is the greatest athlete in their sport in their country. So everyone walking around is a fabulous athlete. Everyone who is working it, seemingly everyone who works the events, because remember, 
Um, while we have announcers who are, are, are announcing the swimming or, or announcers who are announcing any of the other myriad of sports, well, the analyst usually has pre- competed at that high level. So everyone walking around these events is a, an extremely talented performer and maybe a superstar in their own country. But there are some who stand above the rest. And the only way you can probably equate it is when you talk about the Hall of Fame. Sure, there are great you know, professional athletes. Sure, there are all-stars every season. But only the great of the greats go into the Hall of Fame. Well, that's what it's like at the Olympic Games. Only the great of the greats. It, it seems like there's a, a special slot for them and, and their performance and what they've done. And whether, honestly, Anna, whether it's that Olympics that they're doing it, or whether it's the body of work that we've seen some of these performers have. Um, I mean, they, they, they do carry a special weight, and, and even the greats know who the real greatest are. He was the greatest, and in 2008, you know, he had the highest of highs going 8-for-8 eight eight in Beijing. You also saw the remarkable photo finish against Michael Cavage, where Phelps won by one one-hundredth of a second. Then we fast That's forward. That's unbelievable. I, I mean, that I remember that. To this day, just watching that moment and just waiting and waiting for the results and that it was probably one of the most memorable moments in Olympic history. But then you go to 2012 and what he did there, it was hard to compete with perfection at that point. But what do you remember about London? At that point, you've seen greatness. And remember, every year there's new greatness that's ready to come. Right. So it's not like, well, these this group that was there four years ago, it's the same group, only they're four years older. There's a new group that's ready to take over. And um, what, what I remember about 2012 was Michael Phelps was Michael Phelps. He's the greatest in the game, but everyone's out to get him. Whether it was the French team that was very strong, whether it was an individual swimmer from Japan who was very strong, everyone was out to get him. And you waited to see if someone was going to have what it took to knock him off the top slot. So for me, 2012 was all about sustainability. Was he going to be able to sustain the greatness and really um, kind of deflect all of these different other phenomenal athletes who are trying to knock him off his perch? And, and that's really what stood out to me about 2012. Yeah, and what was interesting also was the way that he won in Beijing against Cavage is exactly how he lost to Chad LeClos in London. So he fell to silver, losing by five one hundredths to a second, in his signature event, the 200-meter butterfly. Now, he still took home four golds and two silvers, but he said that actually leading into London, he didn't want anything to do with the sport. He was over it. What do you think his state of mind was like before and after those games? Isn't that interesting when you when you hear the greatest? Because I think that there is a mental fatigue that goes into the physical nature of what you need to do. And when you are so dominant in Beijing, and that's what led me to 2012 to see could it continue when someone, and I'm not saying there are doubts in their minds. I do think that there is that emotional strain that goes into the training that it takes. That's not easy. Mm-hmm. What these people do, it, it changes their lives. Um, you hope for the better, but it's their, they're driven in a way that few of us can understand. And to go through it the one time and be successful, to maybe have a question in your mind, not if you can do it again, but do you want to do it again? And then when you eventually, the switch gets clicked over and you make the commitment, then is your body responding the same way it did? Is it going to be better? Who are, who are the competitors that I'm going up against this time? 
and will I have the same edge? Um, and that's to me, boy, I, I think sports psychology has come a long way yeah. and it continues to where we are today. But, um, I, I think that we're starting, Michael Phelps might be one of the uh, exhibit A's in, you know, work with an athlete, work with them mentally as well as physically so that they can compete at the highest level. Because as you point out, if there's someone who starts to doubt if they want to do it, not doubt if they can do it, but doubt if they want to do it, then, you know, that's a, that takes a special person to find the edge. And clearly Michael Phelps found the edge. Yeah, what kind of regimen and training? Do you remember what he had? Because one of the things I remember was he had to eat an enormous amount of calories yeah. every day just to sustain his energy. Do you remember any of his regimen? I remember the one that stood out to me was um, he was a spokesperson for McDonald's. And then, you know, there's always someone in the media that's trying to knock you down. And, you know, McDonald's wraps itself in the flag and in the Olympics as a partner. And Michael Phelps it said exactly what you said. They said, listen, we're not saying that you should eat the way Michael Phelps does to compete when he had to put so many calories into his body because of the unbelievable amount of training it takes to be that type of athlete and for what his physical stature was. Um, so so he, I found it to be quite natural where he, he was able to say, hey, listen, it's not like I eat every meal here, but I need to put on a lot of calories. Mm-hmm. This is one of the elements that I can utilize in those uh, in that calorie intake. So that, to me, was, was uh, one of the funnier stories of, as you point out, the, 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 the amount of calories, the intake you have to have, and how he was able to get his partner, McDonald's, uh, a little extra play instead of it being a negative story, it became a positive story on that side for Phelps. I'll tell you, in quarantine, I wish sometimes I could have eaten that many calories right now because I, I felt oh, like I could just keep putting it away. <laughs> I know. God, don't get me started. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I eat like an Olympian. How about that? I like Anna, that. that's the closest I'll be to the Olympics. I eat like an Olympian. How uh, about that? Uh, you know what? I'll join the club with that one. No problem with that. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you talk about his, about sports psychology, and Phelps has actually been very, very open about his personal struggles. You know, despite his unprecedented success, bringing in six medals at the 2012 Olympics, he did talk about his depression and anxiety, but also how he even contemplated suicide after London. He made the Olympic swim team at just 15 years old, and at that point, most kids at that age are just focused on getting their driver's license, their test grades, going to prom. Now you add on competing on a global level and being marked as the future of the sport, how much pressure do you think that is for someone at such a young age? Yeah. And, you know, I know in America, we love our sports and we see some of these athletes from a young age and we follow them in high school and then they become pros. Um, and we think we understand or, or we think that they should have it easy. Look at, they're getting all this adulation. They're making so much money. Life should be easy for them. You know, when you, when you move it up a notch to where Phelps was on a global scale, where everyone around the world for that two-and-a-half-week span focused seemingly solely on him, but focused solely on the Olympics, and then he was the, the lead story of the Olympics. And you're right. When you've been at it for that long, when you've been at it at the highest levels, you do have to make sacrifices. That's the part of the story people don't get. To be an Olympian at 15, at 19, at 23, you've made sacrifices. And some might say, I'll make that sacrifice any day of the week, if I can get Olympic gold and I can make millions and millions of dollars, you know what? But it changes the way you grow in other areas. Mm -hmm. It changes the way you interact with humans. It could be for the better, but you don't always understand what the world is about when you're young. Even though you're traveling around the world, you're not worldly. And I think that having 
that type of focus can be spectacular and make you a great athlete. It also can be a hindrance in other areas of maturation. Not saying he's immature, but in maturation as a human being. And I think I think it's a bold, strong power play move for someone as successful and revered as Michael Phelps to be honest about his mental situation at the time uh, and say that I had a problem. It was so bad. I contemplated the worst thing possible and he needed help. And I hope that people hear that message and understand the great gift that you have. And when you utilize that gift, man, it's a sacrifice and it can cost you in other areas. And that's why I really believe in sports psychology. It took me a while to come around to it, but I'm a big believer in sports psychology at a number of levels because competition can bring out the best in you. It can also sometimes overwhelm you. And you need to have devices to help you both succeed properly and also not succeed properly. And Phelps did, I think, a brave thing. I completely agree. It was completely brave of him. And after this interview, I will be sending, giving out more information about his foundation, which actually works on helping those who are dealing um, with their own mental situations and uh, their own motivations. So we'll definitely talk about that a little bit later in the show. But as this is Sports Time Machine, it was this week in history in London where Michael Phelps became the all-time record holder for the most Olympic medals won by surpassing gymnast Larissa Latanina at 19 medals. That was just at that point. Now, obviously, he's gone on to win 28. But where does that achievement, just somebody who is the most decorated Olympian in history, where does that rank in sports history to you? Well, that's a good one because the Olympics are revered in a special category. They are every four years. And so to be able to rack those championships up, again, you're in multiple events. Um, boy, when you, when you think of all of the sports and all of the competitors who have given their lives, and for some, the gold medal was making the Olympics. For some, they were blessed to win a medal. For others, they won a gold or a few medals. But to have the type of, cabinet that Michael Phelps has, it, it is off the charts. Where does it rank in, in all-time greatness? He, he certainly, he, he is the Boston Celtics, you know, a championship, who was it, nine championships in 11 years. He is that type of, of, of greatness discussion where people have to compare themselves to Mike. Maybe that's the best way to do it. In the NBA, you're compared to Michael Jordan, six for six NBA finals right? Mm -hmm. That means he's the greatest. You're being compared to the best example or the best way I can answer that. Anna, is to say, where does it rank? Well, you know what? Everyone is going to be judged by Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps isn't going to be judged by anyone. So in Olympic history, it stands alone in global history. When you start to crisscross sports, it's going to be Jordan six for six is pretty darn good. Those were team wins. You know, Phelps has team wins, but he also has individual wins. So when you're talking about the greatest of the greats, you know, Phelps could very well be the greatest athlete who has ever lived that we have had an opportunity to see. There may be some out there who say um, there are, are global football or soccer players who are in that same category, uh, but none, I don't think any, spring to mind in the exact same way that Michael Phelps does. So, So maybe that's not an easy way to answer it, but the best way for me to answer it is to say Phelps will never be will never be compared to anyone, 
others will be compared to Michael Phelps. That's a great way to put it. I mean, I was going to simply yeah. ask if he was the GOAT, the greatest Olympian of all time, but you might be saying he might be the yet almost the greatest athlete of all time. Yeah. I mean, it's when you, when you try to compare, you know, it's hard enough to cross over in, in eras in the same sport, yeah. which makes it even more difficult to cross over sports. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it helps us with a barometer to try and speak uh, to, to someone's greatness but for Phelps, I just don't know. I mean, honestly, you have to look at others in whatever their discipline is and say, were they as dominant as many times? Now, not everyone has an opportunity to swim a number of individual events and a number of team events. Right. So understanding that, but also understand those individual events are different types of swimming. So he has to have that discipline. And he has to be on a team that's good enough, and he has to at least carry one-fourth of the weight of those teams. So I, I found that, you know, personally, that, that story to be just, it's riveting uh, how he did it. And, and he really is one of the great, if not the greatest, Olympic athlete. That is amazing. And before we go, Coz, yeah. want to ask you, you know, you hear more and more about these athletes defying the over-the-hill sentiment playing past their quote-unquote prime. Now with the postponement of the Olympics, do you think there's any, any chance we could see him make a comeback next year in Tokyo? I mean, he now has till December 2020 to change his mind. Yeah, you know, isn't it funny? I've always said this, you know, competitors compete, athletes play, they perform. And there is always something in the back of your mind. While you have more time to consider it, you also have more time on your body. So is that he has to determine, I, would I like to see it? Yes. Will we see it? That's a harder question. He's on top of the Big Rock Candy Mountain right now. Mm-hmm. Do you stay there or do you want to come back? What would be his best, you know, what, what's the best he could possibly do? If he couldn't compete at the highest level, I think he would have a hard time coming back. But if he felt he could help one of those team events, maybe he gives it a shot. Let's not kid ourselves. We'd love to see the guy in the pool. Of course. Pool, right? It would be, it'd be an, right? You'd want to see him in the pool. The end. It's still be must must yeah. see TV still. So I'd still yep. love to see. I yep. would watch it no matter what. Because you are living my dream, calling the Olympics. I absolutely love it. And I love yep. watching you doing Thank it. You. Also with NBC Sports. Where can people see you? And where can they uh, follow you? You know what? They can follow me on Twitter at Coz NBCS at K O Z N B C S. Uh, they can see me at NBC Sports California, working uh, Sacramento Kings pre and post for the playoffs or the restart, I should say. Let's hope they make the playoffs. They need to have a good stretch. And at NBC Sports Bay Area, I'll be uh, doing a variety of things with the A's and uh, possibly the Giants. So look for me there. And Anna, it's always great catching up with you. That's my uh, favorite part of my day. Oh, thank to talk you. To Anna. I appreciate sure. it. I, I miss hanging out with you. Great to talk to you about the Olympics. So thank you so much again, Coase. My pleasure, Anna. Thank you. A big thank you again to Coase for joining me on the show. So now I'd like to hear from you. Do you think that Michael Phelps is the greatest Olympian of all time or even the greatest athlete of all time? Let me know by reaching out on Twitter at Anna Kagarakis, K-A-G-A-R-A-K-I-S, or by using the hashtag Sports Time Machine. Now, HBO just released a new documentary entitled The Weight in Gold. It discusses Michael Phelps' mental health issues and how common it is among elite athletes. The film actually points out that 80% of Olympians experience post-competition depression. It addresses how athletes and their families devote so much time, energy, and money for their dreams. And then in an instant, it's done. Just like that. The problem is, 
there aren't enough resources available that address mental health. That's where Michael Phelps steps in. He has advocated the powers of therapy and how it benefits those suffering their own personal battle. Now, he partnered with the online therapy company Talkspace, becoming a spokesman for the company, and recently donated 500 months of free therapy to medical workers on the front line of COVID-19 response. He also has the Michael Phelps Foundation, which addresses water safety, physical and mental health awareness, and incorporates programs that benefits the Boys and Girls Club and Special Olympics international athletes. There's a myriad of other causes he supports through his foundation, and you can learn more about them by going to his website, michaelphelpsfoundation.org. Goes to show you how Michael Phelps is incredible both in and out of the pool. He's a superb athlete. It's part of who he is, but it does not define him. He has even more to live for. And that's something he realized later with help. And he hopes that more athletes and people in general can find the help that they need. So again, make sure to watch the documentary, The Weight in Gold, which is now on HBO. Some other interesting events happened on July 31st in history. It's a very special birthday to one of my favorite authors who's done pretty well for herself. Joanne Rowling, or better known as J.K. Rowling, is the author of the much-loved Harry Potter series. The magical global phenomenon has sold more than 500 million copies, becoming the best-selling book series in history. Her main character, the boy who lived, shares the same birthday as his creator. Harry's birthday is celebrated on July 31st, the date he was introduced to the wizarding world. All right, as much as I enjoy watching the movies, they'll obviously never be as magical as the books, but I'll be honest, and you can at me all you want, but the sixth movie was a huge disappointment. Half-Blood Prince is one of my favorite books, and the film is the worst of the series, in my opinion. They missed so many incredible parts of the story, added scenes that looked like they were added in just to bring some excitement, which failed miserably. I'm still really bitter about that one, as you can tell, but eventually, I'll get over it. But I do recommend listening to the audiobooks. If you haven't heard the story, you don't have time to read, but you like listening to audiobooks, Jim Dale does a phenomenal job reading those books, so check out Harry Potter on audiobooks with Jim Dale. Well, that will do it for today. Thank you again for listening to Sports Time Machine. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate Sports Time Machine on iTunes. We're available on all your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find the show at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Anna Kagarakis and on Instagram at Anna Kags. And if you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. Well, time flies when you're having fun. Thanks for heading down memory lane with me. I'm Anna Kagarakis, and we'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Yeah. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.